Randy, pop quiz, hot chat. There's a date on your roadmap, and once your CEO knows what it is, she's going to want some features delivered. If they don't get delivered, your team is going to cry. What do you do? What do you do? Why? Why do I suddenly feel like I'm in an action movie, Lily? I I think I need to channel my inner Keanu here. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Whoa. Okay, I got it. Can I? Can I phone a friend? Time's ticking, hotshot. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, let's go to a flashback. I know that Isha Shukla gave us some great advice when she was a guest. If only I could remember what it was. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. And there's probably one near you. Hi, Isha. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. And um, before we get stuck into our topic for today, it would be really great if you could give us a super quick introduction to who you are and how you got into product. Yeah, of course. Um, Firstly, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really honored to be here. My name is Isha Shukla. I'm currently a product manager at WhatsApp for their group messaging team. I've been at Meta for the last two years. Before WhatsApp, I was working on a team that focuses on helping women, particularly those in emerging markets, feel safe and in control of their experience on the Facebook app by building features that could help address some of their safety concerns like photo misuse and stranger contact. Prior to Meta, I was a product manager at Meetup, which is a startup that focuses on bringing people together in real life through interest-based communities and events. Um, I worked on their organizer subscriptions, groups and events team for about two years. Meetup is really where I got into consumer-facing products and learn how to solve problems um, by building features for millions of users. Before Meetup, I worked as a mobile product manager at Citibank for about three years for their corporate mobile and tablet applications. Citibank is really where I kickstarted my product management career. I had done an internship there on one of their product development teams while I was pursuing my master's in engineering management degree at Duke. And I just really enjoyed how I got to collaborate across several functions like product design, engineering, data, work on solving problems and building things for users. And so when I finished my degree, I went back and joined full-time and that's how I landed into the world of product management. I can't believe you called Meetup a startup, but I guess after coming from Citibank, it totally makes sense. Yes. (laughs) Also when I joined them, I think they were were smaller. I mean, they had just been acquired by WeWork, but still, I think, yes, in relative scale of Citibank and Meta, in my head, it's a startup. And so with all of that experience um, and and tons of experience there, uh, we spoke the other day about how you've developed some principles um, for product management. So give us a quick overview of what these are and also how you're currently using them. Yeah, of course. Um, Over the last, 
I think about seven years of being a PM, um, I've learned some product principles, either through product leaders I've worked with or just situations that I've been in. Um, these principles have helped me make effective decisions as a PM. And today, my goal of sharing them in this forum is just to help new PMs or aspiring PMs or encourage other product leaders to share principles they may have learned over their careers. I typically keep these in mind in my day-to-day -day job as I'm making decisions. Um, that's how I find them most helpful and effective, um, just to refer back to them. These five principles that we'll go through today include, number one, lead with goals, not constraints. Number two, invest time in understanding how your product is built. That is the basic technical details. Number three, start with the problem, not the solution you or someone else wants. Number four, being opinionated and voicing it is a good thing. Number five, team morale is an important criteria to consider when weighing trade-offs. I love those principles. Um, let's just start with that first one and start with there. So it's lead with goals, not constraints. So can you tell us about a time when you've used that or where that's made a massive difference? Yeah, I think this is by far the most important principle that I've learned from my prior manager at Meta. Um, this principle has helped me focus on the desired outcome and anchor my recommendations on that versus trying to alter the recommended path based on constraints we might face today. I'll give an example to help explain this. Um, while working on the Women in Emerging Markets team at Facebook, I had to present a recommendation for a marketing campaign that our team wanted to run for our feature. We were told that we had a limited budget available to run this campaign. And so we framed our entire recommendation around what we could do with the budget that we had available, hoping that this would expedite next steps and bring clarity into what's possible. When we entered the review with leadership, the feedback that we got really surprised me. We spent about 80% off the review talking about what we really wanted to accomplish and whether we thought our recommendation would get us there. That really opened my eyes and was a big learning lesson to think about leading with the goal in mind while listing the constraints, but not having them define your recommendation. So the question that we got was, this is the budget that you have today, but if you had an infinite amount of budget, or what, what budget would you like to do what you really want to accomplish? And let's focus the conversation on that versus being limited by the constraint that we have today. Can you tell me about a time then where you've, since you've learned this, where you've gone in with a different attitude or where you've helped somebody else change their attitude? What was the difference in, in the conversation? Yeah, I think um, constraints can be things like, you know, budget, people, project timelines. And if you sometimes focus on constraints, you limit your path to what's feasible today versus focusing on what you need from your team or leadership to be really successful. And product and other function leaders are really there to help unblock you. So I think leveraging reviews to really position your asks by making sure you're, you're highlighting the constraints, but not limiting your recommendation. And I tend to follow this even in the simplest forms of roadmap planning, right? You go into a roadmap, you typically try to highlight resources, which could be your team size today. And then you say, based on this team size, here's what our strategy or here's what our plan is for the upcoming half. I think ever since that ex example or experience that I've had, um, what I will do is try to position it as what do we need to do to win? And then what is our current team size? And then if we have an ask, 
you position that ask there to say, this is what we would like to do, but with our given constraints, which is the current team size, here's what we can do. So we're asking you for additional headcount. So I think it's just kind of reframing the conversation and making sure that you're not starting by listing your constraints, but just bringing awareness and then asking leadership to really help you um, unblock yourself with them. I think this is a really fantastic one and certainly something that I've learned in my product career as well. I had a conversation just the other day talking about, well, this is probably what we can do with the resources that we have. And then my CEO was like, but, you know, just ask me and or like, tell me what resources you need to just go that extra bit more. Um, And I think it feels like there's a lot more of these conversations happening where the product manager is you know, thinking within the constraints, like you say, of um, of what they have, and the leadership are like, no, demand more from me. <laughs> like, tell yeah, me what you need. That's what I'm here for, right? That's what they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's something I keep telling uh, teams that I work with is, you know, they complain that they're not going to be able to hit the ambitious goals we set. So that's fine. Tell me, what, you know, tell me what you can do, and tell me what you would need to get there because I don't know the gap. I can help you set, set an ambitious goal with leadership. I don't know what's as realistic. You need to tell me, and I may tell you no, but we'll adjust the goal if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, uh, I'd rather we start ambitious and then figure it out. Yeah. Yes. Great. Well, that's a very good first one. I love that. Um, so number two was around understanding how the product works. Um, what are your kind of top tips for enabling this? Yeah. Before we jump into top tips, one thing I do want to clarify or call out is when I say you should invest time in understanding how your product is built, like the basic technical details, I do not mean to be a successful product manager, you must have a computer science background. What I mean is investing time and working with your engineering manager or lead to understand how your product is built, what the tech stack is, what are some common constraints that you will need to keep in mind will go a really long way, particularly when you have to discuss trade-offs like technical debt or change in product behavior for a feature because of some technical constraints that you might face. Um, so just wanted to call that out um, before we jump into, you know, top tips. Um, regarding top tips, I think just spending time with your engineering team. It could be the engineering manager or the tech lead that you work most closely with to learn about some of these concepts for your product is the best start. Um, Another tip could be to find technical papers, if applicable, to your product area to gain some knowledge, jot down questions after you read them, and then you can use those to have one-on-one and talk to your peers about them. Both of these things will make you a stronger product manager. Um, And I've learned this from my recent experience at WhatsApp. I just joined WhatsApp about a month and a half ago. So I'm still ramping up on this team. And what I found is WhatsApp has a very client heavy architecture. And what this means is in order to launch new features to users, you have to, they have to update their client, which is the app version. And we don't force users to update your app version. Mm -hmm. So this brings in some very important considerations and challenges to think about when you're making product decisions. For example, you have to be very deliberate about features and the quality of them when you roll them out because rolling back is not as easy. Mm. Second thing is compatibility and user experience. You have to think about these because 
you could launch your latest app version, but not every user has updated to that. So what does the user experience look like for those that may be on an older version? And then number three, kind of following along those lines, keeping in mind and designing for some of the error states. So you have that in mind for those that may not be on the latest um, app version. These are just some really basic examples. But I think in specific scenarios, I've also been reading up on the technical paper for end-to-end -end encryption, because WhatsApp uses end-to-end -end encryption, what that is, how do you set up an encrypted session, what's a ratchet function, all of these things I think as basic concepts are really important for me as a product manager to understand because when it comes time to building features and thinking about trade-offs, these are things that I will need to keep in mind and will just facilitate better collaboration between me and the engineering team. So we talk about the fact that it's the engineering's team job to figure out the how. It's our job to do the what. Um, so how does this, how do you use this in a way that doesn't get you into starting to tell people how to do it or potentially going, you know, going a little too far over that line. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. This, this, this is definitely not intending to say that you should learn some of these concepts so that you can be involved or engaged in, you know, how the feature is going to be built. I think it's just really helpful when you make trade-off decisions, because those are really times when your engineering lead or your engineer will come to you and say, because of, XYZ or how the app is built, like the way that you've, we've defined the requirements right now is not going to work. We need to think of some other alternatives. And at that point, if you don't even understand what the issue is, I think it becomes really difficult for you to react. And so I think it's just um, proactively understanding what issues you might face so that when you have to make decisions that require you to change your original requirements or react when there's an issue or a specific bug, it's really helpful and you don't have to spend all that time in the moment when you're expected to make progress and just execute. I really love this one too. I love all of them actually, but um, with this principle as well, I think that there's a real opportunity here for you to um, get to know your engineering team better and also kind of build up a rapport with them by you know, being genuinely interested in what they're doing and how that, you know, how the product is working um, and and wanting to kind of understand and learn. And like you say, it's not, you don't have to go so far as to be an engineer yourself, but just understanding the sort of basic principles of how the product comes together. And um, and I'm going to, I'm going to add two top tips if that's all right. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Your, I would love to hear your tips. Um, so, Two of the things that I always ask my engineering team is like to, to draw me the technical architecture diagram yeah. um, so that I can see all of the different component pieces of the of the product and how they all relate to each other. Um, and then the other one is understanding the data and the, the kind of the flow of data and the way that the data is connected. So kind of the data model, but not quite as technical as the data model, but just to kind of sketch it out on a on a page with um, uh, an engineer or two, just so that you get an understanding. And I find that those two things also really help. Great cool. one. Thank you. <laughs> Inspired by, by you. <laughs> Awesome. So um, number three, uh, so start with the problem uh, was the third principle that you mentioned. Um, and as product managers, we hear this quite a lot. But I guess 
with other kind of people within the business, um, it's probably not as familiar a concept. So uh, how do you how do you kind of bring that starting with the problem uh, into your work? And, and what kind of inspired you, I guess, to to use uh, to define this as one of the principles that you follow? Yeah, I think like you mentioned, as PMs, this principle is fairly common and we've all probably heard it a lot. But I think there's something about internalizing it and being conscious of asking the questions to ensure that every single person is on the same page about the problem that you're really trying to solve before you jump into focusing on the solution and get into execution mode. I learned this through an experience that I had while I was working at Meetup. Um, I was on their groups and events team. We were working on a company top priority project that was called Supergroups at the time. This project was aimed at highlighting some of the most successful groups on the platform by awarding them with badges and showing positive member reviews, sort of promoting these high quality groups so members could find them easily. Throughout this project, I was new, first of all, to the company and new as a consumer-facing PM as well. And the team that we were working on kind of inherited this project. And so we were already in execution mode And when we kind of transitioned. And I realized, reflecting back, that we didn't really stop to think about the problem or even question why this was the solution that everybody wanted. So I think the best indication that you spent enough time on the problem is to just ask your cross-functional partners, like, the team that's working on it, ask them and ask each person to relay the problem statement as they think it is. And that can really help very quickly um, highlight any miscommunication if there is at all. So that before you even start thinking about solutions, brainstorming, execution, you are all aligned on, is this the actual problem that we're solving? And do we all agree that this is the most important problem that we need to solve? So you did, it's an interesting one because you talked about you came into something that was already in motion. And a lot of times when we talk about product stuff, we talk about coming to something fresh and, and being the person who uh, is, you know, leading the the approach to it. Yeah. But when you're coming into something in motion, it's a really good point. You can have a, a project plan. You can be working towards things. I'm curious in this case, did you have a defined metric of, of success uh, to start with that that indicated what the problem was or was it the problem say wasn't the the problem itself wasn't stated anywhere in in any of the sprints and ceremonies you never came back to it or wh- what did you find when you came in yeah i think when i came in the problem was stated and so we did have success metrics around the number of supergroups number of events that members would attend off groups that were supergroups but I think it went a little bit deeper in terms of internalizing the problem statement because the problem statement was, you know, we want to provide recognition to some of these organizers that are really doing a lot of hard work to organize some of these events, right? And so this was a solution that we charted out. Um, But when I sat down with the data scientist and the user researcher, we tried to double click a little bit more on this problem statement to figure out, is it impacting all cohorts of users across organizers um, that were focusing just on these kind of repeat loyal organizers? Or is this a universal problem that all organizers, irrespective of whether you've been organizing events frequently or not as frequently, does everybody feel this lack of recognition? And so we did user research interviews. We also broke down the data trends to see, and we found that it was not actually just to a specific cohort of organizers, but 
across the board. And so if that's the case, the solution that we were working on would only really benefit some of the top organizers, not everyone. And so that helps us really reflect on maybe the solution that we need to build needs to be more generic across all organizers, not just for those that are, you know, loyal to us and repeat organizers, because we want to benefit and reward organizers in the form of monetary recognition or sponsorships. And that should be something that all organizers should benefit from, not just the ones that have been with us the longest. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are kind of partway through something, what kind of conversations did you need to have to bring people back out of the solution space and back into the problem space? And how difficult was that? Yeah, great question. I think the kinds of questions you need to ask, just start with sitting down, especially in this case, because it's understanding the problem a little bit more. It's sitting down with your data analyst or user researcher to really understand what does the current state look like? And it could be, in this case, we were trying to make organizers happier. So what is the organizer satisfaction today across different types of organizers? What are their problem statements? Do we have any quotes or feedback from focus groups? So really trying to use qualitative and quantitative um data pieces that you may have to help understand the problem statements. It's really sitting down with those two stakeholders. And then once you have had that conversation, I think it is difficult because the entire team is in execution mode, right? So this is where it can also be you coming in as a new PM. You don't want to be that person who's like, are we doing the right thing? And then just shake up everything. So you have to be a little bit um, more mindful about how you bring your team along. And so that's why you do this kind of homework with the data analyst and user researcher to make sure that you feel comfortable with the problem statement. And then it's about just sitting down with the team in whatever team meeting you may have when you're talking about this project and say, hey, we want to just make sure everybody's on the same page. And you can do that same exercise that I mentioned earlier of just go around the room and ask each person to talk about the problem. And then if there is lack of clarity, it will just become really apparent. And then you can use that as kind of a trigger to say, here's, we've been digging a little bit more into the data or user research sessions. Here's what we found. And so wonder if we should maybe just pause a little bit on execution and, and make sure that we're solving the right problem and the solution that we, we are working on is really going to help us get there. So I'm, I'm curious when new people come into the team, uh, you know, you may have been on it for a long time. You may have think it's really well understood. Is this something you consciously use or restate in ceremonies or you use when you, you're onboarding new people? Yeah, I think that's a good question and, and that can definitely be done. And the other, I think, um, lesson that I learned through this experience was take advantage of that new person card, right? Like when you're new, you can ask questions and you should really take advantage of that because even if the question that you ask may sound as like, are we sure we're doing the right thing? No one's gonna, no one's gonna be offended by that because you are the new person and then they're gonna try to sit down and help explain the problem to you. And that itself can be a good way um, to make sure you are taking advantage of that fresh perspective and ensuring that everyone's on the same page. Awesome. Thanks, Isha. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, this one is also great. <laughs> um, I actually used this advice today. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was very happy that um, I'd uh, had this conversation or, or, you know, we were having this conversation today because this advice came in very handy earlier on. Um, being opinionated is a good thing. Um, so tell us a little bit more about how you learned about this principle. Yeah. And how you use it now. 
Yeah, this was something I think I really struggled with in my early PM years. Um, going forward with the story of Meetup while I was working there, I mentioned that that was the first like consumer facing PM role that I had. And so, you know, I was working on features that would be used by millions of users. And so on that high priority project that we were just talking about, we used to have these weekly work stream meetings where leaders across all the different functions would be in the room and you would talk about priorities, blockers, um, and progress against milestones. And so that room, obviously, because it was a top priority project, everyone felt really connected to it. And so they had strong opinions and, and choices when decisions had to be made. And so being a PM on that project, when there were recommendations that had to be presented, I'd, I'd lay them out on a slide and say, here are all of our options with the pros and the cons. But I didn't really strongly voice my opinion in that room to say, of these four options, this is what I think we should do. And, and here's why. This was because of two things. Partly, I was the new PM, and I felt like it wasn't my place to have the opinion. All of these people in the room have so much more experience than me, and so I can just present the options, and then that way we can use them to make the decision. And the second part of that was a little bit more about just being hesitant or shy to speak up in a room full of really opinionated people. And so because of this, it gave it gave an impression to a lot of people that I, as the product manager, didn't really have a strong opinion or stake in the ground, which was not really the case. It was just not the right forum for me to ex to express that. And so a big drawback, in addition to the feedback that I got that people felt like I wasn't strongly opinionated, was just it took so much back and forth after that meeting to just really align on the decision because you didn't go, I didn't go into the review and saying, there are the four options. This is my recommendation. Do we agree or do we disagree? I think that would have really helped facilitate um, and make that decision much quicker. And so through that experience, the way I use that principle going forward now is just making sure I have an opinion for what the product should do. So not just in the short term, but what is the not stuff for that feature or product that I'm building? And number two, every single time an option or is presented or, or several options, um, I will document the criteria that we're weighing them against, but I will make sure I call out my recommendation, whether or not they, that may be the direction we end up taking. But that actually helps facilitate a conversation to say, this is your recommendation. I actually don't agree. Let's talk about the other options. So it just kind of, even if it may not be the um, recommendation that everyone agrees with, it just helps facilitate quicker decision making. I think that's great. And there's that whole thing, isn't there, around um, you're looking for consensus, not agreement. Is that, <laughs> that's the phrase, yeah. isn't it? Um, and, you know, just being able to say, you know, this is my view on things, but also being able to graciously go, okay, you know, if the consensus or if the uh, the decision is to move forward in this particular way, that's fine, you know, then then we'll, we'll go ahead with that. But you're able to put forward your your view. Um, yes. And I imagine there are some PMs who may struggle with voicing their opinion, um, especially if you are more junior or if you're new to the business um, or if you're just, you know, slightly more introverted, perhaps uh, in a room full of extroverts. Uh, just even finding time to speak yes. can be difficult sometimes. So do you have advice for anyone in that situation? Yeah, I can give advice based of what was given to me when I was in that situation struggling. I think the best thing to do is if that forum, which is a large forum of everyone, is not the right 
you know, mechanism for you to voice your opinion, talk to your manager about alternative ways. Um, and I, I talked about two alternative ways with my manager, which we then put into practice. The number one was to make sure that I started to develop this habit of voicing my opinion in that form. And so my manager would point at me and say, what do you think about this, Isha? Just kind of as a way to pause the conversation and bring it back to me and give me that space to voice what I want to. Um, and the second, I think, alternative way is to do it in a written form. Sometimes that gives you more time to process your thoughts, put them into a comment. So it could be a Google Doc or a slide that you're working on for that project. And so if that live meeting is not the best way for you to present your recommendation or voice your opinion, do it async, do it in a written form of communication that allows you to kind of spend time thinking about how you want to position your POV. So I'm curious about this one, you know, looking the way I do, coming from the background that I come from, this is not something that I've ever really struggled with. And I've always felt the ability to to voice an opinion. Uh, they haven't always been the best opinions, and I've gotten negative feedback on, on that at times, and totally fairly. But I recognize that not everyone feels as comfortable speaking up. Um, is there any advice you'd give for, for people who, to ensure that either they can create a better uh, environment for themselves, or you talked a little bit about uh, how your boss helped you or about potentially doing it for other people as well? Yeah, great question. I think it goes both ways, right? It's it's the two camps of people, people who feel really comfortable and confident expressing their opinions, and then the other camp that doesn't. I think the best way to do that is if you are in the camp of someone who is openly voicing your opinion, you feel comfortable and confident, just pause and, and see around the room and see if there's somebody that hasn't spoken up the entire meeting or hasn't said something. I think that's the best way. And you can create that forum or place for them to either ping them separately and say, hey, you know, just wanted to make sure that you felt aligned with what we talked about, or do you have a, a different opinion on what we just discussed? Or in that meeting, ask the person to say, what do you think? And so really creating that space. I love that you asked that question. I think creating that space and being mindful and just observing, maybe there might be people in the room who aren't speaking up and just facilitating that for them is really appreciated. And I have a feeling that one has a big bearing on the that last principle as well about team morale. So do you yes. want to dig into that a bit? <laughs> yes. Um, team morale is a very important criteria when weighing trade-offs. And I, I think when you say this as a principle, it sounds like, yeah, of course, right? Um, but I think when, it, at least for me personally, when I was going through that example, when you are weighing trade-offs, there are a lot of different criteria that you may consider consider like speed of execution, effort, impact to users. But I've never really seen in that traffic light method when you have different criteria, team morale being one. And I'm not necessarily saying that it needs to be weighted against some of these other criteria. All I'm saying is when you are making an important decision, I think it's it's important to stop and make sure you're cognizant of your team's morale, um, especially when you're making trade-off decisions. This happened to me last year when my team at the time was asked to expedite launching our feature, which is called Profile Lock. It, in a single toggle, makes all your past photos and posts shared to friends only, and then all your future photos and posts will be shared with friends only. So this feature was really targeted in emerging markets where there's low digital literacy and just fear of retaliation and low motivation to report bad behavior to make sure that people felt really safe about what they were sharing on the platform. And so we knew we were working on launching that feature last year. I think it was June. Um, 
And then COVID happened. And with COVID, we all know that everyone's reliance on social media really went up to communicate with your friends and your family. And so we were asked to see if we can expedite launching this feature sooner so that, you know, more users could benefit it while they were on the platform. And so we did the whole rubric of weighing trade-offs, cutting the scope, um, bringing more people onto the team, the impact that it would have for the users. But we didn't really stop to think about team morale. And as you can imagine, with COVID, there was so much going on in everyone's personal and professional lives that we launched the feature, everything went great. And then we did a retro on the whole expedited launch process. And obviously, we I heard feedback from the team to say they just felt really stressed at times, um, especially with everything else going on in the world. Um, and they would have appreciated, you know, just thinking about whether expediting the timeline by a month was worth all of that. And so that really helped me reflect on, oh, I should have really done this. I should have been more proactive as a PM, especially in this situation where there was so much going on to make sure that the trade-off of pulling up the launch by a month was actually worth it, even for the team, because the worst thing you can do is make sure if your team is not happy, that's not great. And so, that has really taught me going forward, especially when it comes to things like expediting launches, um, when you're weighing trade-off decisions, talk to your team and get feedback from them directly on whether they agree, whether they don't agree, whether they have concerns. And then you can use that as in your rubric of making decisions. Um, and let's just kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, you make it sound very simple in terms of like, just talk to the team and find out how they're feeling. Um, But I guess there can be complexities in that because, um, you know, certain people might prefer to go at a different pace to other people on the team. And then you kind of need to weigh off how different team members, you know, respond to different environments or, but also like just asking people outright, you know, does it give you enough information or is that balanced with like just what you know about the team and and what they can you know ha- the the situation in which they thrive yeah great question i think for conversations like this i've personally found um making sure you are building a relationship with each person on your team just regularly through one-on-one so so that when situations like this arise you sort of know the person and you can talk to them one-on-one I do agree with you I think you know it's not as easy as it sounds you can't just ask the team in in a team meeting to be like are we all okay with this chances are a lot of people are not going to open up or say anything and so that's really where building those working relationships one-to-one with your team members comes in real handy because you can talk to them throughout what you're working on and then in a situation like this address and make sure that um how they how they feel about the situation and so you have all the information that you need it may be you know in one-on-one conversations but at at the end of the day through those conversations at least you'll have a picture of how your team feels about it and in this case I think reflecting back if I had done that I would have realized that expediting it by one month was going to put a lot of pressure and you know even in terms of what we got in, in in return I think yes we got the feature quicker we had a lot more users using it but um that that was a trade-off right the team morale versus getting it out like 30 days ahead of time and so I'm not sure going back if I would make that same decision like 30 days is not a significant amount of time if it was like more than that sure maybe you have a conversation with your team and talk to them about it but that's that's my recommendation of just building those relationships one-to-one so you can understand your team in situations like this yeah Isha, this has been fantastic, and we're running short on time, so I'm going to do one more question for you, if that's all right. Yes. Okay, so uh, my favorite thing about these principles, 
is it's going to sound like a backhanded compliment and mean it in a really genuine way. They're not the most original of things in, in some cases. There are things that I've heard from other people in places, but what I love about it is that you've made them yours and you've really thought about what's important to you and you use them all the time. And I think that's more important than necessarily being original all the time. Uh, you don't get points for originality. You get points for doing it well. And that's really impressive about the way you've thought about it. So I'm curious, it's, uh, you've got five. And it's a great number, but I'm always suspicious of people who have lists that are a very specific number. So is there <laughs> anything else that you're potentially working on or anything else that might be one more that uh, that ruins the symmetry, but is still a really good principle? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I love that you brought it up. It, they are very simple, really. But I think with principles, what it comes down to is um, really relying on them and using them so that it becomes habit. And the larger number you have, the more difficult it is. So I think for some anyone listening, the advice I would give is like, start with a few, like it could even be one, and then make sure that you're really relying on that when you're making decisions before you start to add to the list. Um, if there was one that comes to mind that I, again, try to use in a lot of my product uh, scenarios or reviews is um, maybe somewhat related to being opinionated. But um, when you're having discussions around what recommendation or which path you might go on, and if people don't agree, just disagree and commit. I think that's really undervalued, but it's so important and can help push the conversation. And if you just have that as a principle to making decisions ahead of time, um, there'll be no hard feelings and you make sure that the team is getting what you need not so much as one person's recommendation being what the t what you end up working on. So I think just re recognizing that there is conflict and agreeing and saying we don't agree, but we're going to proceed with this direction anyways. And are we good with that? I think is another one. Isha, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Um, and uh, hopefully everyone will enjoy those principles and take them away and do lots with them. Um, but yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lily and Randy. I really appreciate it. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.